you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, our lives are full, aren't they? Uh, they are full. Um, we live in a day of busyness, of uh, uh, filling our schedules, and all of us have calendars and uh, lists of things to do. Uh, we plan our lives, uh, and we replan our lives, and we plan more into our lives, and in the end, uh, most of us plan chaos into our lives. Uh, we plan ourselves to be chaotic. We fill our lives with more. Uh, and you probably ask more of what, and I just say more, you know. Uh, we're just looking to plan more. Uh, and we think more will somehow uh, be better, more events, more obligations, more stuff. And in the end, a lot of times, more bills, uh, more work, uh, more stress. Uh, I hear the words all the time uh, coming from sometimes from my own mouth. I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm busy. I'm tired. And in the end, if we'd be honest, we'd say we're also empty. We're also empty. And how can that be? How, how can that be? If we added more, how come there's not a sense of fulfillment and a sense where life is better because we got more. Um, I want to tell you, uh, because um, it's, it's simple, and I think today as we look to God's Word, we'll realize that we're seeking life in places that God never intended for us to seek them. We're seeking importance and fulfillment in places that will never fulfill us, never fill us. Um. So today we're going to go to God's Word, and you'll find uh, that He's really going to give us two treasures, or four, depending on how we break them up, of uh, the redeemed life. Uh, two treasures, things that we can hold on to, and uh, I even love the little um, tiara, I think that's the right word, did I say it right? Tiara. We don't do those at our household, tiaras. Uh, but... Uh, it, yeah, none of my boys had a tiara. I don't know why that is. My daughter, I think, had one floating around, and I think the boys broke it. But anyway, so uh, I, uh, I look at that, and I go, uh, we look for treasures, things that are valuable, things that are, are, are worth clinging to. And this morning, I think we're going to find some treasures, some treasures, some things that uh, if, if we get a hold of them, uh, I, I want to. I don't want to oversell this, but I don't believe I can. I, if we get a hold of these, they can shape our lives forever. Uh, they'll help us set us straight and make better choices and find more joy uh, in this chaotic, busy, overwhelming, stressed-out life. And so, um, with that in mind, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Um, God's word says this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. God, we thank you um, for your goodness and grace, your kindness, your patience with us. God, I pray that uh, our hearts would be open uh, and we would humbly accept your word this morning. I pray that I would be a humble preacher, uh, that I would not... um, separate the hearers from the preacher uh, for this message is intended for me as well. God, thank you for your grace and your patience for this church. Thank you for your kindness and mercy that you have caused it to abound, uh, not because of the good things that we have done, but because of your kindness. God, do your work in us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us for a while, you realize the context of this book is that uh, Paul preached the gospel to Thessalonica. And as he preached the gospel, people responded. They came to faith. And and when you come to faith, it's super exciting. Uh, You become a new person. uh, And there's you realize there's an old life and then there's a new life. And and you realize the new life is better than the old life, but you don't always know what you're supposed to be doing in the new life. And that's what Paul is unpacking here. He is, he is sharing with them what the new life is supposed to look like. And last week, we looked at uh, immorality, immorality and, and this idea of what it is to um, live a pure life in an impure world. And if you weren't here last week, you should go listen to that tape, or uh, if you don't think I'm that good of a preacher, just read that passage over a hundred times and figure it out. It's super important, uh, especially in our world where we live in today. Um, he, he gave us that. He gave us that step of the new life. The new life looks different in the way we live relationally and purity, and so um, important passage. And now, he moves on to a few more uh, admonitions or exhortations. And as we look at this, um, kids, I want to tell you, I know there's a lot of kids in here today. Um, it's a different way of living. God wants us to live differently. You may say, well, uh, my cousins do it this way, or this is the way, uh, uh, you know, how many of you have cousins that you really like playing with them? Okay, yeah. I, I had some cousins that I grew up with, and they, they were in the same town. We even went to the same church. And I was always comparing myself to them. I was always, uh, I was always frustrated that they had better toys than me, is what it amounted to. And, they, you know, for those of you in uh, fifth and sixth grade and stuff, you know what they had? This, this may not be all that big. They had a real pinball machine at their house. A real one, like that was pop, 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 you know. Was, and man, there was a lot of things that were, but, but I'd compare myself and I'd ask the question, I want to be like them or, uh, or maybe I had some friends. Uh, some, some of you have some friends that have really cool toys and do certain things and they go on. And, and you're always saying, I want to live like them. I want to be like them. I want to tell you kids, it's not about you being like somebody else. It's about you following the life that God wants you to follow. And not just following it going, I'll do this dumb thing that God wants me to do to say, this is the best for me, because God knows me best. And that's what we're going to look at today, is really the best life 
that God has for us. I, I want to tell you this, that um, they didn't know how to be Christians. They didn't know how to be Christians. And so Paul was going to tell them, uh, God wanted them to know, and so he had Paul write to them, and he says, I want you to know these are the important things. Sometimes we don't know what the important things. And so uh, if you find treasure, I remember um, being uh, uh, up in Oregon at my mother-in-law's place, and uh, we were down at the river, the Rogue River. How many of you have been to the Rogue River? That's what a ro- that's what a river is, by the way. You know, we we call rivers here in California. They're about this wide. Uh, yeah, you, you know, we could go rafting in that one right there. No, there's the river, and we're down there, and there's all kinds of rocks. And um, I remember being down on the river, and we were throwing rocks into the river, and we were trying to fill up the river, but we never got there. But uh, we were throwing rocks, and one of the guys that was with us, he found one, and he broke it, and he says, "This is gold." This is gold, and he, he tried to point to it and everything like that. And I didn't know enough to tell him it was or wasn't, and so he was real excited. It wasn't gold; it was just a rock. Um, there's an important thing to know, uh, kids: what's gold and what's not, uh, because all rocks might look the same to you, but some are more important than others, and that's true for all, all things in life. To know what to treasure and hold on to, and what to chuck and leave and uh, not care about. He's going to share that with them. and um, So here we go. Uh, he says this in uh, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. I think that's funny. Uh, you have no need for anyone to write to you, but I'm going to write it to you. And what he's doing here, how many kids, do your, does your mom ever remind you of things? How many of you are, your, your moms remind you of things. And you want, when, maybe when you're going to school or when you're doing your chores or something, she says to you something that she said to you about 2,000 times before. How many of you, your moms would do that to you, okay? Uh, why, why is she doing that? Why is she doing that? Because she's got a bad memory and she forgot that she told you before. No, no. Because she's trying to say, this is important for you to remember. And what she's doing, it's like if it was just written in pencil. If it was just written in pencil, she's going over it in pen. She's going over it in pen. And you say, well, she already wrote it in pencil and went over it. No, now she's underlining it. She's writing it with a Sharpie. She's highlighting it. She's circling it. Because this is important. And even this, as I look at Paul sharing this, he, he knows they already know it, but he wants to highlight, and God wants to highlight for them, how important this is and how this is one of the jewels to treasure. What is it? Brotherly love. Brotherly love. And he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What an interesting thought. They had been taught by God. Uh, it, it's this thing that what happened, they had come to know Christ. They'd come to know Christ. Paul shared with them the gospel. They came to know him. And you know what happened? What God did in their heart? Apart from teaching, they didn't go to the brotherly love school, which, by the way, uh, the city of brotherly love is what? Philadelphia. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? Hung out in Philadelphia. 
And, and you, just, you just noticed on the streets of Philadelphia just the love. The kind people, they were just welcoming. I, I remember uh, we traveled a couple years ago as a family. We went through Philadelphia. And of course, the Bozlers, you know, we, we marked it. But you go to Philadelphia for what reason? Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, so you go in there and, and you go in there. And I remember wanting to have a conversation with the people who worked there. And they're like, <laughs> they were like, Get your sandwich and get out of here. You know, they, they were like, next. You know, and I'm like, I thought that we were the, Phil- you know, Philadelphia. That's Greek word, you know. Uh, and, uh, the, the idea of brotherly love, everyone's had. And next, get, get out of here, you know. <laughs> and so this, this idea, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, you know what? Uh, brotherly love doesn't come by naming your city, brother, the city of brotherly love. It's a work of God. It's a work of God that unites hearts together that sticks them together, that wouldn't be there in any other way. And th- that, that's the point of brotherly love. It, it's the idea that God has taken two people, or a bunch of people in our case, who most of us aren't related. <laughs> Isn't this a funny thing? You just look around. This is a funny thing. It's peculiar. It's unusual. We're not related, and we've all shown up uh, in a semblance of a family meal here this morning. Isn't that interesting? There were different backgrounds, nationalities, walks of life, occupations, financial status. And, and why has he gathered us here this morning? Because of the gospel. And, and what, what was interesting in Thessalonica, he took that group of people and he pushed them together. And he says, I want to teach you. I want to do a work in your heart that will teach you this idea of brotherly love. And that's how they knew it, kids is that God changed their hearts that they would love one another. Most of the time, we love uh, one another, or we like one another, or we are affectionate towards one another because of what they can do for us. We think they're prettier, we think they're handsome, or we think uh, we like being with them because they talk nice to us, or they think we're great, or they give us presents. Some of you like presents, right? There you go. The only honest one in the whole group. Uh, uh, like presents. And so th- these, are, these are what we like people. And then when they stop doing that, we're like, forget them. But what unites a heart, when the gospel brings us together, it's this idea that he makes us family when we were not. And he gathers us together to love one another on the basis of just the gospel, just that Jesus did what he did. We were taught by God. Um, we were taught by God. And so, uh, verse 10, well, actually, end of verse 9, it says, taught by God to love one another. And then he says this, verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Uh, Thessalonica was a city in Macedonia, the greater area. And w- what's great about that and amazing is that their little city, was impacting the city and the region, that area. What had happened was that they were loving one another. It impacted. And I want to tell you, your kind acts of brotherly love will impact the area around you. It'll impact the people around you, the people in your home, the people that uh, are your other family members, and it will go out from there as your travels go out. And I want to tell you, uh, it's infectious. It's infectious. It infects people, and it affects people. 
Um, so that's how that works, that brotherly love. They were connected by the gospel, made family, and that love now was impacting the, the whole area. And he says this. He says, more and more. He used this idea on the last passage as well, this more and more idea, is that we would be growing in this. Uh, for indeed, that is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Get better at it. Fill your day more with it. It's not that you would love less. Um, most of us have done homework. I hate to bring that up in July. That's rough to do that. I'm sorry, kids. Uh, done homework. And w- when you finish your homework, what do you do? <coughs> Anything else that you want, right? You're like, forget it. Uh, the idea of doing homework is like that you're done with it. You're done with it. Uh, most of us don't like homework. We're saying, I'm only doing it because there's grades and punishment and things connected to it. The idea of brotherly love is not like homework. It's the idea that we should want to do more and more. It's the idea that as we are living our life, doing things that we do, talking to people, uh, playing uh, with people, having lunch, having th- this idea that brotherly love, this love that is happening over and over and over again, would be more and more and more. That it would be increasing, increasing. It wasn't that they weren't doing it. They were. In fact, in a great way, they were doing it in Thessalonica, but they were also doing it in the rest of Macedonia. But this idea was that they were to do it more and more. It was the idea that this is important. This is important. Um, And we could go to other parts of the Scripture and uh, see this idea of love, God's love being different and important. But I, I want you to get this. Sometimes we prioritize in the church, in our Christian lives, being right over being loving. And I'm not saying those have to be in fight with one another. But I want to encourage you, in your being right, make sure that you are being loving, remembering that there are family members. You, You know the deal with family, right? You never get rid of them. Never get rid of them. You, you, there's a sense where at times you want to trade them. Uh, to anybody who will take them. You want to post them? Free. I'll even deliver. Uh, but the idea of family is that you are stuck together and stuck with one another. And so there's a sense of building. There's a sense of, uh, I, I need to salvage this because... They're with me forever. We're united by an eternal gospel. I want to tell you, brotherly love. This idea that we would care and be kind and and men. You you know, sometimes we're so uh, committed to being right that we forget to love. We forget to love. We've cherished uh, uh, us being right over us being loving, kind. The Lord wants to highlight for us that uh, brotherly love should be one of the treasures that we cherish uh, in this new life in Christ. Brotherly love. Okay? He brings us together uh, as family 
that we would share in brotherly love. And the second point is really three points, but it's all kind of connected, is the good life, starting in verse 11, the good life. Now, if I'd say, do you want the good life? It's just, of course I want the good life. In fact, uh, you might even say, I'm in search of it. I'm in search of it. I'm right now thinking about what it is to have the good life. And how we search for that sometimes is just thinking, right? We're, we're watching those other families, whether it be families that we're connected to or families that we know in the community or even uh, families that really don't exist. We, we don't know them, but we, uh, they're celebrities or there's some kind of <laughs> fantasy <laughs> we're watching on TV, some sitcom or something, and we say, we, we really want to be like, that's not a real family. Did you know that? They're just actors. <laughs> Uh, maybe we look for that. We look for that good life. And, and I, I share that with you, and then I say this. He's going to show it to us. And it's going to be very different than maybe what we have cherished and what we have built our lives around. I want to tell you this. I want to stop before I get rolling in this. Uh, don't be offended by this. Uh, unless, unless you are. And then may that be a tip-off to you that you might need to change. I didn't write this. I didn't write this. And I want to even say this. Paul wrote it, but he didn't come up with this. Okay? It's a message from God. And God loves you. He loves you. Uh, he taught you how to love by loving you first. And he wants what's best for you. And so this idea, if your life doesn't match up with the good life that God has put out there, it's okay. It's okay. Abandon your life and chase after the one that God has placed before you, the one he has instructed you about. Um, As I have thought about this passage, not just today or this week, but even knowing that it was coming, uh, God's challenging my own heart uh, in the way our family works, in the way I work, and the things that I cherish. Here it goes. Um, In verse 11 it says, "And, And to aspire... To live quietly uh, and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. Those are the three things right there. Did you get them? <laughs> three things. Let's, let's take them one by one. The first one, to live quietly. Now, uh, <laughs> when I think of quiet, uh, kids, you know what I think of? I think of the library. <laughs> the library. Have any of you got shushed in the library before? You've been in there and you were talking too loud or you thought something was really funny and you said something loud or you started laughing and everyone goes, shh. Um, I have to confess to you that um, when I was in college, I was really tired. I was in the library. I wasn't planning on bothering anybody, but I fell asleep. I fell asleep and I started snoring in the library and uh, one of my good friends came up to me. He goes, hey, dude, dude, everyone's laughing at you and you're snoring. Stop. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you think of quiet, you think of library. You think of like, you know, that place where everyone's folding their hands. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, this idea that your life is quiet. It's free from uh, drama and chaos, okay? And it's interesting, this word aspire is this idea of Restless striving. Restless striving. It's this idea of 
How, how many of you are like, are bothered sometimes when you've got things to do? You can't sit down. You can't sit down, right? You know, you kind of nervously walk around and you just go, I, I got this list of things to do and I got to do it and I can't sit down because in my mind, it's like the most important thing. And he's, he's saying this, this word aspire is, is the idea to be focused, but almost stressed out, okay? Almost stressed out. What I find so funny is what are we to be uh, kind of agitated, stressed out, uh, what are we to be stressed out about? Living a quiet life. <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that seem kind of uh, that, like these two words don't go together? Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a tough uh, picture, but I, I think it's important for us. It's this idea, um, we use the word aspire. Well, you aspire to a goal. Maybe you aspire to graduate or uh, to get a position or a job. And so you are working towards that. You're, you're taking steps towards that. If you don't aspire to it, um, y- you know, uh, y- you could say, I-, I could say to you, I aspire, I aspire to be a better piano player than our music dude, Zach, Com- Zach Lacombe. And you could say, no, you don't. No, you don't. And you say, well, how could you say that so confidently? Because I don't, play piano i don't practice piano i'm not learning piano there's nothing i'm doing to do that but but this idea this word aspire is that we are thinking and taking steps in that direction well what's that direction to live a quiet life this idea of striving restlessly to be quiet one writer said it like this it's the silence after the speech it's the rest after the labor it's the peace after the war. And I just ask you this. When you think of your life, your life, and uh, for those of you who are a man and women, married, have a family, you can ask this of your family as well. You want to ask this question. Is my life quiet? Is my life quiet? In the way the Lord's talking about it, is it quiet? Is it a quiet life? Or... Uh, is my life or my family's life chaotic? It's interesting to me that in our world today, we seek to make a statement with our life. We, uh, we seek to, in many places, self-promote. We brag about all that we've done. Uh, men, I hear this all the time. Uh, you ask a man, uh, hey, uh, how are things going? And you say, busy. And what you're saying, uh, I had a, a, a godly man, a wise man, an older man, uh, say, say to me one time, he says, when people say their lives busy, uh, and they say, oh yeah, I worked 80 hours last week. He says, you know what I say to them? You must not be very good at your job. It took you 80 hours to accomplish what one man should do in 40. And, and I thought, whoa. And he's a guy that could say that because he's older than me and wise. But, but, but that, that's the picture, isn't it? I want to ask you, is your life quiet or is it chaotic? Is your home quiet or is it chaotic? Is, is there a sense of overwhelming stress and chaos? 
Or is it quiet? And I want to remind you that the word aspire, aspire, um, it's interesting to me that he takes a different tone. He already talked about brotherly love, and what did he say? You guys got it. Do it more and more. And then he gets to the quiet life part, and he says, aspire to it. Take steps in that direction. But keep pushing towards it. I, I want to especially highlight uh, you with young families and you, you with teenage families. Um, aspire to it. It's not going to come easy. It's not. Uh, you're going to step on Legos in the nighttime, okay? It, it's not going to look pretty. It, it, there's a sense where uh, you're aspiring to something that, that seems impossible to get to. But God calls us to aspire to live this quiet life. I want to ask you, uh, are you running away from drama or are you creating it? You look at this and you say, well, how do I aspire to live a quiet life? You take steps that will remove drama from your life, not bring it. Most of us, I say this for the Bozer family as well, you know why our life's chaotic? Because of decisions that we've made. We chose this over that. Or we chose this, and we also chose this, and we also chose this. I talked about going to Costco in the last couple of weeks, right? Grabbing it all. Uh, I, I want you to know, I want you to know that, that it's, it's difficult to get there. But this idea that drama just happens, I want to tell you, no, it doesn't. We choose it. We choose it. I'm nervous about saying this next thing, but I'm going to do it anyways. I want to encourage you young moms. I want to encourage you. God's given you a window of opportunity with these little ones. It's, it's not the time for you to be holding one, have your phone in the other, and throwing the iPad to the other ones. It's not the time. It's not good for them. It's not good for you. It's this idea of saying, I don't know why my kids are, are hoodlums. I don't know why they're out there. You, you know why they are? Because they're kids. Because they're kids. And they need a mom and a dad to take care of them. And the idea that you're busy doing other things, I'm getting into my next point real quick, but uh, th this idea that we're doing it, and there's stuff important, I want to tell you, it's not. And for us, right now, right, right, right at this time, uh, there's things for us to do. And so to ask the question, is my life quiet the way the Lord wants it? Or is there chaos that I can remove, I can aspire to remove? I want to tell you that the idea of you just doing what everyone else is doing, you're like a dead salmon floating downstream. You gave it your best, but now you're giving up and you're, you're just floating with wherever the... I want to tell you, that's not what God's called us to be. He's called us to be different and He's called us to a quiet life. I want to encourage you, uh, husbands and wives, to talk about this. Maybe think through maybe one or two steps that you could take to bring more quiet to your home, more quiet to your life as the Lord intended it. That's the first one, to live quietly. The second one is to mind your own affairs. Um, might be more powerful for us in translation, to mind your own business. But the idea of minding your own business, we say that as kind of a sassy remark when somebody's asking us questions that we don't want to answer. Oh, go mind your own business. But the idea of minding your own affairs is the idea of thinking through 
what God has given you to handle. I want to tell you what that looks like is your job. Your job. The way God has provided for your family. That's your uh, own affairs. Your wife. Your wife. That is your own affairs. Your husband is your own affairs. Your children are your own affairs. Your grandchildren, and if God has blessed you, great-grandchildren. They're your own affairs. Some of you have more affairs than others, and I don't want to say that in a weird way. But um, you, you have a lot to handle. I, I, I look at some of you older folks with your uh, grandkids and your great-grandkids, and it's a complicated deal, Right? You got a calendar and you got to send the card at this time so it gets there. You know, you have graduations and weddings and birthdays and it's a complicated deal. But to think through, what is my role? What, what has God blessed me with and charged me with? My own affairs. You know, it's super important uh, for me to know what RJ had for lunch and see a picture of it. It's super important uh, that I know so-and-so went on some vacation to some lake and they went jet skiing. Super important. And I, what I want to tell you is this. We've gotten to a world where we're neglecting our own affairs. We're neglecting to do what the Lord has charged us with because we're busy trying to keep up and solve and connect with something that he hasn't charged us with. We're, we're stopping being where we are to try to be in a place where we're not. I, I, I want to encourage you with this. I, I don't want to condemn in any way, but I want to tell you that God has given you your work. He's called us to mind our own affairs. That which God, the things that God has has for you. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we watch the news, and whether it be politics or celebrity following, and we somehow concern ourselves with what celebrity is married to what celebrity, or who's dating who, or what movie is in some fantasy world and some other thing, and what's coming out. These are the things that we're we're logging and spending time thinking about. And missing what God has for us, our own affairs. Some of us uh, uh, aren't the celebrity, we're the politic people. And, and for the most part, um, he's given us a very limited role in government here, right? Limited role. Uh, I'm, trying to th I'm looking around thinking who the most important person politically here is in the church. And I'm struggling. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the beggar saying, you know, I'm... I'm way more important than you. I have a dime, and you only have a nickel, right? That, that's where we are here, right? Uh, we, but, yet, but yet, we spend much of our day uh, flipping through news, uh, wondering what's going on in Washington, D.C., and all the while, God has given us impact and opportunity. And where is it? With our own affairs. Where is it? With our spouse. Where is it? With our children and our grandchildren. This is what He has called us to. Uh, the place where He has called us to. 
And I just want to tell you, God is telling us this morning for us to mind our own affairs. It's interesting, in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17, I'll read this to you. Uh, it says this, Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes, uh, takes a passing dog by the ears. Does that sound like a good idea? <laughs> of meddling in something or trying to solve something that's not your own. It's like taking some random dog in the neighborhood and grabbing him by the ears. Uh, that's a dumb idea. And yet, uh, with social media, with our connection to each other, so often we want to involve ourselves in things that are none of our affairs. We want to live in some different world that God has not given us. When He's blessed us richly right here. He's given us opportunity. I want to encourage you to take steps to take steps to mind your own affairs. Let me uh, say one more uh, dangerous thing before I move on. Um, I don't want a show of hands here. Uh, does your husband have a problem? I don't, want, don't laugh or anything. You don't laugh because it, it gives it away. I'm glad my wife's not here. Uh, does your wife have a problem? Don't say, don't point, don't nudge, don't. Don't, e- don't look at each other. Don't, anybody don't look at each other. I don't want to see your faces right now. Um, does your wife have a problem? Sometimes we, uh, we think of it like this. Uh, your, your wife has a problem, and you're like, I want to deal with it. Go call your mom. Go call your mom. She'll straighten you out. Uh, go call your friend. Uh, go buy something on Amazon. Uh, go do something. And when you're better, come back. Or uh, your husband comes home and he's grouchy and you're like, forget it, I'm not going to deal with him. He's a pain. Um, I don't want to get too personal here, but uh, what about your kids? Are your kids a handful? Don't raise your hand either. You know, <laughs> I'm just thankful. You know, those of you who have younger kids, you... Uh, my kids, my kids don't bite people in the nursery anymore. <laughs> you know, those days are done. We have a few people in the community here that uh, my sons have bitten before. And, you know, we apologize every time we see them. Uh, but, but I want to tell you, I want to tell you, uh, some of you say, oh, they're just too much. I need a break. No, you don't. You don't need a break from your kids. You need to mind your own affairs. There's no one that's going to come in and raise your kids for you. That's not God's intention. It's not. Uh, there are times and places, but, but the idea is that you are to be a husband. You are to be a wife. You are to be parents. You are to be grandparents. It's not somebody else's role. It's what God has blessed you with. And so for you to be blessed with that, God will give you the strength and the wisdom, and He'll also give you the time if you put the phone down, if you shove off other things that are not your affairs, he'll give you the time to do it. He'll give you the energy and the strength. Third point. Uh, he says this. He says, work with your hands. Work with your hands. It's interesting uh, that in this book, uh, other books, the book of James, I think of uh, I- immediately, and uh, some writing to... First Timothy, 
Second uh, Timothy, that it seems like the believers in Thessalonica didn't have any money. They were working people. They were blue collar. It doesn't seem like there were rich and poor together. It probably was the lower working stiffs, if you will, uh, that were there. And what does he tell them? He says, work with your hands. Work with your hands. Um, I'd say it this way, a Proverbs-type hard, smart, skilled labor, okay? That this idea that, that we would get a skill, that we would work hard at that skill, that we would uh, be smart about that skill, and that that skill, that God would use that to provide uh, for us. Work hard. As we work hard... Um, and probably the backdrop of this, most commentators think as they look at 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, there's a great freedom that comes from the gospel. Um, if you know that your soul is secure and that heaven is the ultimate riches and it's coming and the Lord's going to return, there's a sense of saying, cool, I don't got to do anything. <laughs> awesome. And the idea of even being in a community like this to say, man, this is great, I'm covered. I'm covered. You know, uh, people who are orphans uh, or who don't, their family has passed away, there's a sense of drive that that gives them to go, oh, no, I got to stay after it. I got to stay working. Why? Because there's no one behind me to pick up the pieces. And Paul tells them, he says, you know, work. Work with your hands. Uh, This idea that you are to uh, get after the, the simple, practical points of life. Why? Why? Um, you, you might ask why. You say, well, uh, I've got greater things to do. The, the spiritual riches that are found, I'm just going to study my Bible all day. I'm not going to go to work. You say, well, how's God going to provide for your families? It's all through the church or through my parents or through... Uh, my friends that go to church, you know, they got a lot of money. And, and because we're family now, uh, we sit at the same table and we get to eat just because we're family. Paul is combating that and he's, uh, I want to connect it to something in a moment, but just this idea that we are called to fill a role and that role is to provide for our family. He calls us to uh, verse uh, 11 at the, towards the end. He says this, And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. He already told them this. And there's two reasons. Verse 12, So that you, uh, you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Uh, th- so in Thessalonica, they come to know Christ. Not everyone came to know Christ. Those who hadn't come to know Christ were watching those who had this new church. And if they're seeing people who are lazy, are not taking care, and there's, there's different kinds of laziness, right? There, there's the idea of not going to work, not getting a job and loafing and taking money from other people. But there's also this idea of wanting more, of wanting more and not having, and then people have to come and uh, pick up the pieces for you. And he says this, it's a bad testimony. It's a bad testimony. Uh, Our hard work, not uh, crazy workaholic type 
uh, working 20 hours a day, being gone all the time, neglecting our family. That's not the kind of work he's talking about. The kind of work he's talking about is appropriate work to provide for a family and to take steps. And, you know, some of, the, some of that's uh, maybe getting more skills. Maybe for some of you, it's working harder. Maybe for some of you, it's working smarter. For some of you, it may be working less, Right? Because you're seeking that quiet life. You're aspiring to that. There's all kinds of things. But the reason you work more or less is not based on what you want or what you can gain. It's based on what God wants for you. Right? He says, for the first reason is this, that outsiders, as they look upon you, they'll see in you the gospel. And the gospel says this, uh, because God has taken care of me, I will faithfully serve him, even in the mundane things as work. Secondly, he says this, uh, that you would be dependent on no one. Dependent on no one. I want to combine the, the first point we talked about with this. So, so love, right? Love. Um, when you don't take care of things and someone else has to take care of them for you, um, that's not love, right? That's not love. In fact, it takes that brotherly love apart. Uh, it's one thing in a family... When someone is sick or hurt or somehow at disadvantaged, that the rest of the family comes around them and picks up the pieces for them. That's not a big deal. But when someone is lazy and selfish and doesn't care, they don't do their part, they don't take care of what they should take care of, that's not brotherly love. That's not brotherly love. And it's not... Uh, what God has called us to, to presume upon one another, that that brotherly love will cover us. It's interesting, in Ephesians, uh, Paul talked about the same idea, and really the idea of working hard so that you'd have enough for yourself, but also some to share. The idea that we would take care of our own stuff and then be able to uh, minister to others. That's the kind of life that uh, the Lord wants for us. I just want to review these real quick. I don't have my three points this morning. I, I love these four so much that I just wanted these to just lay there before you. The first one's this. God wants our life to be filled with brotherly love. Secondly, He wants us to live a quiet life, not a chaotic life, not a dramatic life, a quiet life. Thirdly, He wants us to mind our own affairs, to think about what He has blessed us with, what He wants us to be a part of, to mind our own affairs. Not some affairs of our neighbor, not some affairs of our girlfriend, or, or not some affairs of some other family out there. He wants us to mind our own affairs. And lastly, He wants us to work. He wants us to work. That that would be both a testimony and pleasing to Him. Uh, these are what He has called us to. Please join with me in prayer. Father, thank You. Uh, for the blessing of this passage, the, um, the clear and yet convicting uh, words that are there. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to aspire to this, that you would grow in us a more and more attitude, that we would take steps and uh, treasure what you treasure and the kind of life that you want for us, that we would want that too. I pray for our young families here. I just ask that you would help them to take steps in that direction, that you'd give them joy and encouragement along the road. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.